Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. I'm Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson. Today, we'll be speaking with John Saltis. He's the founder of Salt Lake City Weekly and restaurateur Heather Stanty about the impact that COVID-19 coronavirus is having on small business. And I want to thank both of you for joining us. I know this has been a difficult time for everybody, but particularly if you are a person who is a business owner, it has, got, it has had to be particularly challenging. I want to start with uh, uh, Heather. Uh, can you talk a little bit about your background and, and I don't know. How long have you been in the, uh, the restaurant business? Hi, I have been in the restaurant business. I opened my um, eggs in the city in June of 2004. And so it's been about 15 years that I've had eggs in the city. And then I opened my second restaurant in Logan, Utah in February of 2012. And I came from a bar background. My my father owned Lumpy's, a sports bar, for 15 years on Highland Drive. And uh, John, uh, obviously it's Salt Lake City Weekly, a, a longtime publication here. Can you talk a little about your background and, and uh, you know, your history here in Salt Lake? Yeah, I, hi. How you doing, Jason and Amy? I grew up in uh, Bingham Canyon, Utah. Um, not magna and most people don't know where that really is anymore because the mine itself it's where the copper mine is ate the entire town i used to have like ten thousand people up there and there's nothing left basically except little pocket community called copperton but i was that's where i was born and raised blue collar i have uh, one grandparent was down in carbon county where uh, heather's family originated at least her greek side and um been around the market here, lived here most of my life, uh, started the paper in 1984 as a little newsletter and it's grown into, uh, what it is. Well, up until March 6th of this year's 15th, it's grown up into a pretty big newspaper and then COVID. Yeah. Yeah. John, John why, don't why don't you just, you just tell, tell us, us how, how COVID, COVID has impacted, impacted City, City Weekly. Weekly? Okay. Um, well, um, it, it happened just before our first announcements by the county. If you remember, South by Southwest, uh, which was founded by my good friends down there, Louis Black and uh, Nick Barbaro and a partner, uh, they, they started South by Southwest 30 years ago, say, and um, they grew into what we all know it is, uh, the biggest music, tech, entertainment, movie, festival, worldwide brand. And it was it was uh, shut down like a week before it was to occur. When that happened, it just sent a tidal wave of uh, bad news throughout the events category, uh, music and events categories throughout the country. So right away it hit us, you know, with event cancellations, concert cancellations, etc. About a week or so later, uh, when people started to get serious about COVID, uh, the county put uh, closure uh, enforcements, uh, announced a very short notice that, that 
restaurants and clubs particularly would be uh, forced to close except for curbside or takeout service. Well, that's our entire category, isn't it? Uh, for years, uh, most of our revenue, 95% of our revenue comes from clubs, restaurants, and events, some of which are our own. Um, Utah's biggest beer festival is ours, Utah Beer Festival. Uh, Utah can, Utah's only medical cannabis convention. Those things were, were shelved, and we're talking just tons of money, and uh, an entire revenue stream dried up. So obviously this has changed my business dramatically. I went the day before we had to start shutting down our dining rooms. I did 350 people on the Sunday prior. And by Monday, we'd had a, uh, gotten a notice from the Salt Lake Health Department that we could no longer have people in our dining room and that we were only going to be doing takeout, delivery, um, pickup, and, and that was going to be our new business model. Well, for myself, and I, I know a few other restaurant owners, my business isn't really set up to be a to-go only. And what do I mean by that is I have one phone with three phone lines. So if I'm taking an order, I have to put somebody on hold, get the other person's phone number, and call them back. Um, I was not on Grubhub or DoorDash or Uber Eats because those companies generally take about 30% profit off of every order and so i had not i i'd been sort of holding off on going online so this really caught my business off guard and i had to quickly catch up with a lot of my fellow restaurateurs that had already been on those platforms prior to covid 19. Um, i'm still playing catch up uh, we, we just barely signed on with a partner that would let me out of the contract in 60 days in case i hated it um, I don't. I, I didn't want to raise my prices. A lot of restaurants, when they go on those platforms, will just raise their prices to offset the profit loss, which I didn't want to do. Um, things that I've tried to do to um, keep up with COVID is I've handed out free cinnamon rolls to try to drum up business. I went from doing 350 to 425 people on a Saturday or a Sunday to barely squeaking out 85 people or 90 people. My business is down, I would say, 85 to 90 percent. Um, we're closed now Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I'm only open Thursday through Sunday. I've tried to do takeout dinners, comfort food, delivery. Um, it's just sort of thinking on your feet. You know, a lot of my restaurant friends have closed their restaurants, and I just don't want to do that. I want to be here for the community. And I want people to know I'm not, I'm not going to fold, <laughs> you know. Have you had to lay employees off? Oh, yes. I'm, I'm operating with basically the back of the house. I have three main guys that work with me those four days. And it's myself and one other person. And we, that's how we work on the weekends. I have one extra person. So there's three of us out front and three of us in the back. Wow. I mean, I, I can imagine uh, as a person who is, we all have to uh, make these changes for ourselves because we can't go out as much. We can't go out maybe and socialize or eat at your establishments or places like that. How much more difficult it would be for the person actually trying to make a living doing that. When we come back, I want to ask you guys about just the overall impact and, and what, what kind of plans, uh, if, if any, you guys have been able to kind of um, think about putting together because 
for right now, this is an indefinite kind of circumstance. And I would love to understand how it is that small businesses are going to try to com continue so that they have a, a future for themselves. You're listening to Voices of Reason. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. We are back with the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. I'm Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson. Today, we're talking about the impact of COVID-19 coronavirus on small business. Uh, joining us today is uh, Heather Santi. She's a restaurateur in Salt Lake City. And John Saltis, he's the founder of Salt Lake City Weekly and has been a businessman in Salt Lake for over 30 years. I want to start with you, Heather. Uh, you know, this, the federal government and the state, actually, has put together programs to hopefully provide some financial assistance, some financial relief to uh, to businesses across the country. I wanted to know if you had been able to uh, access any of that uh, that funding and, and has it been able to help you? Jason, I am so glad you asked me about this. I I did apply for this state bridge loan and received a form letter saying that I, I had been missing some parts of my application. Um, after asking around to my friends, we all received that same letter, even though my accountant put together my application. So I can't speak about the state and the city because I'm actually in Mill Creek. I wasn't in Salt Lake, but I did apply for the PPP loan through my banks and I got approved for uh, both loans for both my companies so far. So I'm pretty excited to uh, get that funding. I spoke with my banker today. He says the communication between the federal government and the banks themselves is really slow, which is holding up these small businesses getting the funding, even though they've been approved for the loan. So he said to expect my documents sometime next week, which was a, which exciting news for me. So Heather, let me. We talked a little bit before the podcast about. Um, the the banking choices you've made and how that's been an advantage to you where you have um, other restaurateurs who don't have that advantage. Just explain to me that why that's made a difference, who you bank with. So for, uh, for Herms Inn, I bank with a small city bank called Cash Valley Bank. It's owned by a local family in Logan. Uh, their names are the Danes family. And they have been a godsend through this COVID-19 for me. They reached out to me and said, Heather, get us your application as quickly as you can so that when this loan opens, we can get you funded. 
and they've checked on me several times through this COVID-19. They've ordered takeout for every single branch from my restaurant. That's 85 people that they've allowed me to get lunch for, um, which I thought was such a blessing. And they have just reached out time and time again, checked in with me. How are you doing? They've sent me emails, phone calls. It was, it, it really has proven to me what it means to be with a, a smaller bank versus a large bank where I'm maybe just a number to the bigger bank. Um, I also work with Meadow Bank. That's who I originally got my SBA loan through to buy my building. And they too reached out to me and said, Heather, how are you doing? Um, give us your information and we will push your loan through for you. We want you to get this uh, loan so that you can continue to be successful. Um, I actually bank with U.S. Bank as well. I have not heard from them. I have not had any information. I went to their homepage. They have, you know, just generic information, apply here, but it's very, um, it's not personable. Yeah, I mean, I really, I really feel like I'm getting more personalized attention that they actually care what happens to me and to my business. And I feel like they're going out of their way um, to help me which is a great feeling. Talking to some of my friends that bank with Wells Fargo who've gotten these um, generic emails saying, you know, hey, give us your name and we might get in touch with you. We're, you know, they're not approving the PPP loans. They've only got so much to work with because of the trouble that they were in a few years back. Um, those people are going to have to find other banks and institutions to put their applications through. And where do they sit? They sit at the back of the line because the institution doesn't have a relationship with them. So it's really unfortunate for my friends that are banking with, you know, Wells Fargo right now. Um, I'm worried about them. Yeah, and they don't have a stake, like you said, in your success. John, could you give us some insight into what that process, that process has been, has like, been for like for you? Well, first, you know, Heather, with the smaller banks, she's congratulations because it's the, not quite the same when you were with a larger bank. We've made all the applications that were available to us. Uh, City put up, I think, a million-dollar fund. Uh, we'll get none of that. Uh, the state put up $8 million, 20% of it, or $2 million of it was dedicated to rural Utah. And we did hear back from them. We'll get a small amount from the state, which we're very grateful to, to receive. As for the PPP, we waited and waited and waited and kept on getting. We are with Chase and I mean, I remember last Friday, the president said Chase and Bank of America processed all these. They weren't even, their their, their system wasn't even accepting them at that time. Mm -hmm. But when it finally did go live, we did submit. And we, we know we're in the system, but we haven't heard back. Mm -hmm. As for disaster relief, uh, that was the first fund uh, that was set out there. We haven't heard back on that one either, although we've heard some local merchants have. And uh, that's through the SBA. I I'm not real optimistic about that one, to be honest with you, despite that we certainly have been nailed. It's just one that just probably will get eaten up by Wall Street, not Main Street. And John, and John one, question one question I had, I had was, was, as you're, as you're applying, applying for these, for these loans, loans, how long, are you, are thinking, you thinking about, about how, how long, long you can go, go without, without a, a bridge money? money? Yeah, like a day. <laughs> Uh, so, um, what have so you what had to do? Have you had to lay people off? What have you yeah, been doing? Yeah, we just did this week. We had our first round of furloughs and reduction of force. We just, that's something we've never done in our history, pretty much, you know. So, even despite all the other times when the newspaper crises and all that kind of stuff, we, we didn't. 
So it's very painful. Well, if the PPP comes through, then we'll have some relief, right, for getting employees back. But there's a problem. And, the, and it would probably even be the case with Heather um, and other restaurateurs. So you get the money. In our case, we get the money, right, if, if it comes. And since all of our revenues are derived from the club, restaurant, and events category, who are we going to sell ads to? Who are we going to provide services for? So now all that money comes in, and if we don't use it properly, it turns into a loan automatically. Now, it's not the most onerous loan in the whole world, but it's like, the way it is, it's a one-size-fits-all. You're supposed to use the funding, and I think 75% of it has to go to payroll, and then you can use some for insurance and rent and mortgages, whatever. But in our case, putting it into payroll is like, but it's almost not it's not providing it's not providing the end result we all need and that's a that's a company that survives this and it has to be done in like eight weeks so unless the veil is lifted in eight weeks and we're back like in eight weeks we'll be right back here we will uh, continue our discussion and find out a little bit more about how this coronavirus and and covid19 outbreak has really impacted local uh, small businesses you're listening to voices of reason Back to the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. I'm Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson. Today, we're speaking with John Saltis. He's the founder of Salt Lake City Weekly. He's been a businessman in Salt Lake for over 30 years. And restaurateur Heather Santi. And uh, she's been a restaurateur for over 15 years. And they're talking about the impact that this COVID-19 outbreak has had on their businesses uh, as they try to operate and continue to operate uh, for years in, uh, ahead. But uh, before the break, uh, John talked about how Getting the financial uh, assistance that the government is uh, doling out is certainly a positive attribute. However, A, it's, it's not coming quite as fast as they would like. But the other part is when this does change and we're able to go back out again, what does, what does the new normal look like for businesses? And uh, Heather, as a restaurateur, for instance, what do you, what do you think the, the new normal will look like uh, when you have a chance to open your doors and, and establish business as it had been before? You know, I'm a little concerned what it's going to look like. We, My business in particular, we think of our customers as family. I mean, some of them, I've literally been to their weddings and baby showers, and we've held 40th birthday parties and silver anniversaries, and we hug our customers, and we miss them, and we have a very up-close, you know, personal connection. So it's like, so do we stop hugging people? Do we stop you know, I've heard don't shake hands anymore, fist bump, and I, I get that. But I don't want to be afraid of my neighbors. I don't want to be afraid of the lady at the grocery store. I want to I want to feel safe, but not at the expense of being human anymore. And I'm worried that when this thing goes back, hopefully we go somewhat back to normal. Um, is it going to be okay to have ketchup out? Do Am I going to have to get stock in Clorox wipes because I'm wiping down everything and Lysoling everything? Is this the new normal for us? Mm-hmm. And and I guess I feel like we <laughs> we survived for so long without doing all of this stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Once there's a vaccine, are we normal again? Or, or have we, have we, are we changing the way we live based on this new virus? Has have this scared us enough? 
Heather, do you think, what do you think we lose by not being able to get, have these gatherings? Like, um, Oh, I think it's horrible. I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, but I didn't realize I liked people this much. I mean, <laughs> I, I miss my customers. I miss my friends. I, I haven't been able to hug my mother or my father or, you know, I have quite a few um, older friends. One of my best friends, Jeff Campbell, he's he's 75, you know, and I can't hug him right now uh, or give him a kiss like he likes because, uh, you know, of this COVID-19. I don't want to make him sick. He's vulnerable. He's, you know, had pneumonia several times and his, his immune system is compromised. So, but I don't want to live like this. I, I certainly want to be able to hug my loved ones again, and I want to be able to see my mom when I want to. Um, she's driving me crazy right now. She's retired, and she was driving me crazy before COVID-19 because she was looking for projects around my house. Um, but she came over the other day to do my yard work, I'm embarrassed to say, and she had an accident where she should have gone to the hospital right away. She had needed stitches in her face. It, it, a lid fell down on her face and she refused to go. And I said, Mom, we've got to take you. And she's so terrified of COVID-19. She waited seven hours to go to the hospital. By the time she got to the University of Utah, uh, it was 7 p.m. The accident happened around 3.30. Uh, her skin had died, so they had to cut out part of her skin because she waited too long to go. Mm -hmm. And so, I, I mean, there's fear there for her. She thought she'd rather live with a scar on her face than go have a plastic surgeon sew her up. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just that scary. Well, let me ask you, John, after the Depression, uh, thousands, of thousands of manufacturing jobs, jobs never, never came, came back. back. Are we, Are looking, we at looking at a similar, a similar situation, situation where a lot, a lot of the businesses, businesses that are out there now just can't just come can't back, come from, back this? from this? I really don't know what happened to depress. I can talk to my mother. She's 92. <laughs> like, you know, and I, I've I heard think all you the, the stories. <laughs> yeah. But even last time, yeah, you always run the risk of manufacturing jobs, particularly leaving. And, and we have become so much of a service economy, even in Utah. But that was by choice, by the way. I mean... You know, Utah's bigger industries used to be like uh, military and mining, construction, stuff like that. We made a cognitive choice as a state years ago to move forward through the Olympics and everything else to become service, entertainment driven, tourism. Those things are tremendously at risk, aren't they? So Utah's whole economy has the potential to spin out of control here. Really boils down to I can't go to Heather's place and get a boiled egg. Because of the, the, the trail that leads past that, she pays an employee that goes and spends money somewhere else, or she won't be buying the, the sanitizer that somebody else's life depends on, or paying a mortgage, and all those kinds of things just trickle out. And it's a, it's a big, big factor here. So, and, and then think of the growth in Utah. A lot of the Silicon Slopes and tech companies finally started coming here the last decade or so once Utah became a hospitable place for hospitality. And so will those companies want to come here? I, I don't know. Um, what's the lifestyle going to be? It was ski resorts. It wasn't just Summit County, you know, uh, happening, you know, I, I believe, in, throughout Colorado and Idaho, too. Uh, wherever people are coming from across the globe, they turned into hot pockets of COVID spread. So what, do we, what does that do for the ski industry? So, I think the, the, yeah. the difficulty, the difficulty though, though, is that, though, is that uh, it's... It, 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 
it is so indefinite. And and at this point, we haven't been able to kind of map out what tomorrow looks like. And I wonder, have you guys been able to try to plan for that at all? I mean, even if it just little by little and it goes in stages, have you figured out a way to start reestablish your businesses, John? No. I mean, we can we can take pivot here and there and whatever we we find that we might be able to do for a little while but we had a year's plan you know in the first year late last year you make a plan for a year in the newspaper and most businesses some kind whether you adhere to it 100 percent or not but the plan included a whole bunch of things starting in fact in in march which was going to be the the, the month that we published our annual city guide that's our biggest second biggest revenue generating magazine of the year and it's big Statewide, been since the Olympics was our first year we did it. It's been a huge success for every year, and suddenly it went to zero. You know, it was a six-figure magazine. So for us, that's big, and it's gone. And so is one of the chapters of Best of Utah. So is our cannabis convention. So is potentially the beer festival. And and like Heather said, what's the new normal? I mean, we could have a beer festival. They could say, but what will people react like there? <laughs> you know, will they social distance still? Will they share from a cop like they tend to have done it, you know, in, in that kind of a, uh, environment? Typically, who knows what's going to happen? So you could open the, 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 the gates and say you're open, but that doesn't mean people are going to come out. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion and find out what the impact of coronavirus has been on local small businesses. You're listening to Voices of Reason. Welcome back to the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. I'm Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson. Today, we're speaking with John Saltus. He's the founder of Salt Lake City Weekly, been in uh, business in Salt Lake for over three decades, and restaurateur Heather Santi, uh, talking about the impact that uh, COVID-19 is having on their small businesses. Uh, Heather, as a restaurateur, you have had to deal with, I would imagine, as much as anybody, uh, the, the immediate impact of having so many fewer customers and not being able to operate your business in the, in the way that, it, uh, that you typically have. What are some of the concerns you have, you know, even looking now about how you're going to uh, continue? Actually, Jason, I feel like it's getting better, ironically. Um, you know, initially when people were rushing to the grocery store and sort of hoarding food and hoarding toilet paper and hoarding, hands, you know, hand sanitizer, um, they had just bought $2,000 worth of groceries. They weren't going to go out to eat. But now that we've kind of settled into this COVID-19 life, people are starting to come out again. Um, you know, last Sunday we did about 140 covers, which, which means 140 plates of food, which is not bad during these COVID times. Um, but I do think that as you're spending so much time with your family, your wife, your spouse, your, your kids, People, people are wanting to go out and get takeout. They're sick of cooking, um, you know. So I think it is changing a little bit. We've seen an increase in revenue over the last two weeks, you know, from when it initially happened. It's slowly going up every week. We're seeing more familiar faces. People are getting the hang of it. They're getting the hang of giving us their credit card information over the phone. Uh, they're getting the hang of um, we wear gloves. 
They have masks on sometimes. Some people are hyper scared where they're wiping down. We see the Clorox wipes come out. They throw the bag into my parking lot. They throw their gloves into my parking lot. Uh, you know, they are terrified, but they still want takeout. So I'm sort of in the mindset of, I hope that continues. I hope for myself and my fellow restaurateurs that people still come out and support us because we need you, we need your business. Um, we need to support each other during these times. I, even myself, my family and I were trying to eat out mm-hmm. um, at least every other uh, day. We try and go get takeout so that we're still putting our money into the economy where it needs to be. I, I think it's interesting. I have my husband and I have been getting takeout mostly because I don't cook. So I was like, look, even coronavirus will not force me to cook. So, um, so we've been trying to to spread the love, uh, as we say, trying to keep businesses that we love, restaurants that we go to on a regular basis. Um, but um, I mean, I actually am gaining some weight. That that's a downside of that uh, trying to keep people in business. But there, this ecosystem that in which which restaurants exist, I think of businesses like John's, where um, you know, your he talks about where does the revenue come from and how do you. But if one part of the ecosystem dies, um, you know, I think of our friend Lucy Dillon and her uh, yoga studio. Uh, she employs thirty two people. She's laid all of them off, but one. And she got denied for the Salt Lake City um, money and the bridge loan. And, um, you know, it's a what happens if that business dies? You know, if the forest doesn't have all the vibrant and different businesses, what happens? And, John, I know you've put a lot of thought into that because you're one of those people who you kind of have a lot a lot of root systems in the community with City Weekly. Well, I guess we are lucky that our our roots go deep. And they, we've been lucky because of that. I mean, we have, uh, there's a goodly number of people that are still staying with us through this period. Uh, Buying ads are not as big and we've got some on deferred payments. We also have another um, method of payment that that allows people to run ads now and, or get paid, pay pay for ads now, run their ad, run the revenues later. Mm -hmm. I guess that's coming out kind of tricky, but our, our roots are deep in this community, and, and it's, an, it's across the board. It's all throughout the valley. It's up in Ogden and Utah County, Park City, and uh, in every kind of category. They're, I mean, sadly to me, it's not just the merchants or the revenue or, or our employees, and that's bad. I mean, we've got employees here that have been here well over 10 years, 15 years and longer that are you know, in jeopardy. Those are careers almost, you know, right? Mm-hmm. So to lose people like that, and, and good salary people, this is really, really, really tough. But just as saddening to me is the people out there, are the people out there that have called us and said, where can I find your paper? Where can I find your paper? What's going on? I need to know. I need to know. And, you know, losing contact with with those people who we don't know. And Heather mentioned, like, being able to hug somebody like, like Jeff, uh, who I used to work for, by the way, Heather. I don't know if you know that, but... Um, he, uh, he, he, you can give a physical hug to. Well, we've got 100,000 some odd non-physical hugs we give every week, people who, who would pick us up. Another, on top of that, number of people who visit us online or would see our emails or come to our events. It's a giant-sized community that all of a sudden doesn't have a voice or may not have a voice. Right now we have one. But if this continues, we don't know. We can't promise that. We can't promise ourselves. So, yeah, there's a lot of fear here. There's a lot of sadness and there's a lot of. Uh, John, how do you, how do you 
how do you how think, do you think um, um, the government, the government officials, officials are doing, are doing in, addressing in addressing the needs, the needs that, that small businesses, businesses have? have? Depends on which level of government, in my opinion, from my experience. Okay. okay. So, and it's been only short. I've never had to experience anything like this in, in my entire career. Okay, so we can start with uh, the county. I'm going to tell you that I, I, I endorse the fact that we took the safe move as a county. And uh, it's proven. I wasn't happy at the time. It came the day before St. Patrick's Day. Uh, that weekend, all of our major friends and in the business, they, they lost their maybe their biggest weekend of the year. That's not a happy thing. But you look back three weeks, an entire city of Utah uh, has only 15 to 20 COVID fatalities. Something's worked. So you can't be too upset at that. However, the county hasn't done anything for anybody that I, I've seen in terms of planning for what's next. They're very good at saying, hey, you can't be open, but they haven't been so good at communicating what they're going to do for anybody, if anything. So there's the county that's done it and not doing um, very much on that side that I can see. The city did a million so far, but a million is a drop in the bucket. When Heather mentioned somebody has 32 employees and we have over 20 and Heather's that doesn't go very far. It's all well aimed and, and the people that are receiving it right now, God bless them, but it's not very much money. Mm-hmm. And the state, 6 million to, in, in urban areas, 20 per 22 million, I'm sorry, in rural, that's not very much either. So we're all waiting on this federal government thing that is just a form you fill out. You could be accepted or denied on your name or miss, you miss a box somewhere. And, and it's, it's really, you know, it's scary to go through that. Yeah, you could, your whole future depends on whether you hit the proper check mark, checkbox or dotted an I correctly. This is just not, not good. And uh, we think that as our small businesses, we think the local, state, county, city governments need to really step up here in a huge way. It's, it's nice to say, oh, we're all in this together, but we're not. Mm-hmm. There are certain segments of this, this, uh, this community that are getting hit 10 times harder than anybody else. And when I hear that from a government person saying, we're all in this together, it's like, hey, shut up. <laughs> you know, you're still getting paid mm-hmm. by me by paying taxes and you have health insurance and you've never had to, to look somebody in the eye and say, hey, you're out of here. These are not people that are with us unless they start paying with us. Mm-hmm. If they start paying with Heather and buying the eggs up in, up in her place up in there or like Logan or start supporting these publications or massage or tattoo places, they're not with us. They're just saying it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. not right that a universal virus that we didn't spread. You can go back. It wasn't the hospitality industry that, that, that spread the virus throughout Utah because they were shut down on St. Patrick's Day. Mm-hmm. So they're paying the price. And that's not right. Everybody else needs to step up here. If they really want this to go away, they need to start paying too. I do think it's interesting interesting that this this situation situation is one where the government's shutting shutting guys down down and saying you can't do what you you know, you, you can't, can't run, run your business, your business. Um, um, but there's not there's a not reciprocal, reciprocal or an equal, or an equal amount, amount of help, of help available. available. Right. I mean, the lifeline to us died when they killed the club and hospitality business, the entertainment. Okay. That's for a public health reason. But then if you're going to do that and not consider the tremendous ripple effect that it goes through the rest of society and don't do much more than just say, hey, we're all going to get through this and hang yellow ribbons around, that's, that's really not support. It, it, it doesn't even feel good if you're on the other side of it. 
So, you know, they've got to come up with the proper way to help these clubs and restaurants and event people get back in business. Help, help the massage, help us, help, help the tattoo guy, help the barbers, because they're not. Mm-hmm. They're really not. not. And these are the lifeblood. This is the absolute lifeblood of this community is the small business community. And to throw a total sum of a state with the entities that are involved so far totals $9 million. That's just not very much money. It's not enough money. money. It's not even, it doesn't even scare it. It's got to be a hundred times that, and that's not baloney. Yeah. Listen, we uh, we have to kind of close out. I want to thank both uh, John Saltis and uh, Heather Santee for joining us today, and best of luck with you. I know that um, I just I just want you to survive. I really do. Uh, join us in next uh, for the next episode of the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. If you have any comments about our show, please contact us via email at vormed at gmail dot com or at vorjasonl at gmail dot com, or you can find us on Twitter at ad on sports and at Jason Lee One. Our show's Twitter handle is at vor podcast. Check out our Facebook page, and you can also find and subscribe to free episodes of our podcast in all the places where you find interesting content. Be sure to review our show as well. We love to get your feedback, and it helps us grow our audience. Until next time, I'm Jason Lee. When you engage in passionate debate, do your best to keep your dialogue civil. Try to be the voice of reason. Voices of Reason is a production of the Loudmouth Project.